Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And if you would please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the Old Testament to the book of Job in the first chapter. Job is tucked right in front of the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of your Bible, so you ought to be able to find that. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn to page 370, and you would be at Job chapter 1. So glad that you're here. I know a lot of you were cooped up, and you're probably anxious to get out and see the world again that... Really, life exists outside of our house, say, even after a great storm like that. But I want to start this morning by asking you a question, and I want you to be as honest as possible. I mean, let's just be honest about this. Here's the question. How many of you are superstitious? Let me just see some hands. Come on. Let's just be honest. Let's get some of those honest hands up there. Yeah, there's a few of you. Kind of sneak it up. Don't want to be too high on a Sunday morning. But I want to share with you... um, a couple of superstitions. The first one is a European superstition. It says this, if your nose itches, you've always wondered what that meant, it means either you will soon be cursed, run into a post, or kiss a fool. Now, in that superstition, you don't know whether to duck, flinch, or pucker up, but it is a superstition. Valentine's Day is coming, a week from Monday, I believe it is. So for those of you who are single, here's a little tip. Here's a Valentine's superstition. If you see a squirrel on Valentine's Day, you'll marry a cheapskate who will hoard all your money. Okay? So we're warning you ahead of time about that. Some of you have had a cough recently, and so here's a cure a cough superstition. You want to cure your cough. Uh, Take a hair from your head and put it between two slices of bread. Then you feed it to your dog and say... Eat well, you hound. May you be sick and I be sound. So there's another way to to cure an everyday issue with a cough. And then finally, I want to share with you a weather superstition. Since we've had a lot of weather, this would be good to know. Here's a weather superstition. Cows lifting their tails is a sure sign that rain is coming. Now, I don't know about you, but for me... A cow lifting its tail is a sure sign that something else is coming and you don't want to be nearby when it happens. Superstitions. You know, if you asked me if I'm a superstitious person, I would basically say no. I mean, I I do put my left leg into my pants first every time, but that's not a superstition, that's more of a habit. But if I were going to be completely honest with you, I'd have to confess that in some ways, at times, I have been superstitious. And one of the ways I've been superstitious relates to the book of of Job. You know, the book of Job is a story of a godly man who faces some severe adversity in his life, and it's really a book about how he responds. And to be completely transparent, in my early years of ministry, I purposely avoided the book of Job. And why did I do that? Well, somewhere out there, I'd heard stories, you know, of someone who started studying and teaching the book of Job, and then suddenly tragedy struck in their life. Maybe their kid was killed in a car wreck, or their wife got cancer, 
And frankly, I was thinking, well, if I started teaching this book, I mean, God's going to send me trouble to see whether I've learned anything from it. Maybe I was thinking if I could just ignore it, sort of steer and detour around it, um, he won't send any of that my way. Of course, that doesn't work. Eventually, God sends adversity anyway. You know, anyway, I had to battle prostate cancer. And, and, and recently, we, we had this incredible historical blizzard that for four days shut down our city. And many of you have heard about the fact that uh, when I got up at four something in the morning and was going to help my daughter make sure she'd get to work at 5 a.m., I found out that my pool filter had burst nine degrees outside and dark, and I've got 20,000 gallons on their way down my driveway. Um, amazing how we've all gone through some interesting situations recently and some adversity. Many of you are aware of Mike Mormon who uh, very recently here got an emergency triple bypass. Probably should have had a heart attack, but they got to him with surgery beforehand. Many of you are aware of some recent adversity that Brian and Julie Malloy have been undergoing, and particularly they here recently discovered some very discouraging news related to the cancer that she is, is fighting. And then many of you are aware of the story of Stephanie and Jeff Bradley, who are very excited being pregnant with their second son, Pierce, who they discovered this week no longer had his heart beating. And um, she had a C-section where they found that the, the cord had gotten kinked and he wasn't able to get nourishment and, and he had died. And a lot of adversity recently and there are a host of other issues we could talk about from serious relationship issues to the death of loved ones. But you see, in the midst of adversity, we need perspective. So much of life is a matter of perspective. And for those of you who are really frustrated with the snow, I want to just show you some pictures. It's a matter of perspective. See this street? Uh, you can't even see the house there. That's how much snow that they have. And we have another shot of a house similar to that. How would you like to have that to clear out of your driveway, huh? And, and then, you know, one of the things about a lot of snow is if you can't find a place to park your snowmobile right on the roof could be a solution. And um, then we have one final picture. Here's the guy on the roof of his house thinking, how am I ever going to shovel all of this stuff that goes all the way to the roof? You see that, right? You have that adversity that we've had, and that gives us a little bit of perspective. Well, when it comes to perspective about adversity, and so much of life is a matter of perspective, perhaps the book of Job is one of the best reference points that we can have. And so we had planned to cover a different subject today, but I decided instead to talk about where is God when the blizzard comes? Or where is God when life is falling in on us and everything's stacking up all around us? How are we to respond when we're faced with severe adversity? These are the kinds of questions that are wrestled with in the book of Job. And one of the things I love about the book of Job, it's very down to earth. It's extremely honest. It's a cut to the core type of book. And so our plan for today is basically to do three things. Number one, I want to just spend a little time setting the scene for the book of Job to orient us to it. And then I want to spend some time making some observations from the book. 
And then finally, we're going to draw four conclusions, four life lessons from the book of Job. So that's where we're going. We're going to set up understanding the book a little bit. We're going to make some observations, and then we're going to draw four conclusions. So let's begin by setting the scene about the book of Job. And of course, it's named after a guy named Job. And the consensus of conservative scholars is this is the oldest book that we have in the Bible. And aside from the events of Genesis 1 to 11, which deal with the creation in very early history, this book gives us the farthest back in time glimpse of life. And though it is the most ancient book, it is remarkably relevant to what you and I face in everyday life. And what we really have in the book of Job, it reminds me a little bit of the Wizard of Oz, where, you know, we go behind the scenes and you have the pulling back of the curtain of the Wizard of Oz. Well, here in the book of Job, we have a man from Uz, U-Z. And really what happens is God pulls the curtain back and shows us some of the reality that is behind the adversity that we experience. So here's the problem when adversity comes to us, is normally our viewpoint is very shallow and short. We just see the circumstances, we just see the people that are be affected by the circumstances. We overlook the fact that there's a whole lot more going on. We overlook that at times the powers of darkness are even involved in the adversity that comes in our life. We overlook the fact that there is a divine drama going on, that God's got a whole lot more going on than just the adversity that we are experiencing. It's a great book. It's a reminder that the Christian life is not just some sort of balmy, you know, lay back in the chaise lounge with lemonade sipping away just waiting to go to heaven. You know, it's a book that reminds us that we are involved in a raging spiritual war. Now, I want to remind you, this is not a story about some mythical character. Job is a real person. James chapter 5, verse 11 mentions him by name. Ezekiel 14, verses 14 and 20 mention him. And he is a man of outstanding character. He was a moral man. A man who was very devoted, he was very godly. If you look at chapter 1 and verse 1, you notice he is described there as being blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. He was a man of integrity, he had a consistent lifestyle of integrity. He was upright, he was a straight shooter, he had impeccable ethics in his life. He feared God. That means he took God seriously. He had a daily awareness of God's presence, and he lived according to that truth of his presence. And it also tells us that he turned away from evil. As all of us, he had the opportunity to delve into evil, but he was a man who walked away from that opportunity. And we're not going to tend, take a lot of time to look at a lot of the details. I want us to fly over the book for a few minutes, but... We can see in verses 2 and 3 that God blessed him. God gave him a great family. And God gave him incredible wealth. Incredible wealth. And we learn as we go down through the, this first chapter in verses 4 and 5 that he was an excellent father. He had a very strong relationship with his 10 kids. 
We learn from verse 5 that he had deep spiritual concerns for them. He was continually, constantly, consistently interceding for his kids between them and God. Basically, if I could summarize, uh, what Job had is he had the three R's. He was righteous, he had riches, and he had relationships. But everything begins to change beginning in verse 8. We see that God and Satan are having a little conversation, and God says to Satan, what do you think of Job? Now, Satan was aware of the way that we tend to think. He was aware that many people operate with a certain theological philosophy. And here's that theological philosophy that is so common. It goes like this. I will serve God as long as God blesses me in the way that I want. I will serve God as long as God operates according to my expectations. See, Satan knew that was a very common way of thinking. And he knew that often what would happen is that when a great trial or a great difficulty would come into a person's life, when they had this great adversity they were facing, that they would often stop serving God and stop honoring God with their life. And basically, if you follow through the story around in verses 9 to 11, he, he steps forward to God. He says, wait a minute, this Job guy, I want to tell you something. He only serves you because you're blessing him. He's only honoring you because you're doing what he wants. You do something different or you allow something different or you allow great adversity to come and things are going to change. And so God basically gives Satan permission to bring adversity into his life. And you can read through the verses 13 to 19, but just rapid fire like this, boom, boom, boom. He loses his family, except for his wife. He loses all of his possessions. They're gone, boom. And then it even gets worse because Satan goes, well, you know, okay, that's one thing, but man, if we attack his health, if we give him great adversity in the realm of his personal health, uh, then he's going to stop serving you and he's going to stop honoring you. So God gave him permission to do that. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. There's not one person in this room that's ever had that experience. And this thing was so far-reaching. In fact, Roy Zook does a great job of collecting the symptoms that um, Job underwent in his health. And here's just a listing of some of them. Not only these sores from the bottom of his feet all the way to the top of his head, but we also learn that he was um, experiencing severe itching from all of this. He had degenerative changes in his facial skin. His face got all messed up. He lost his appetite. He experienced depression. He had, with all those boils everywhere, he had little worms swimming around in all of those boils. Uh, he had hardened skin. His, his sores would just ooze out and stink. He had difficulty in breathing. Um, he had dark eyelids. He had foul breath. He lost a lot of weight. He was in continual pain. 
He had restlessness. He couldn't even nap or sleep. He had blackened skin. And not only that, he had a fever on top of everything else. And this wasn't just for three days. This went on for months and months. Job talks about how the months have gone by, and this has been my experience. Now, that's some pretty severe adversity that comes in his life. And what this book really does is it raises some penetrating questions. And whether you're facing adversity now or facing adversity that might be yet to come, we have to face these same kind of questions. And here's the, one of the first one is this. Why do you serve, follow, and honor God? Why do you do that? Or how about this question? If God comes along and takes you down a very dark, dark road, or if God were to step forward and take your family away from you, or if God was to step forward and say, I'm taking all of your wealth, all, every penny of it I'm taking away, all of your possessions. Or if he took your health away in a very significant way, would you still follow him? Would you still serve him? Would you still honor him? See, those are the kind of questions that this book raises. Now, in chapter 3, through chapter 37, what we have is a whole string of Job's responses to this adversity that has come in his life, along with four of his friends primarily, but also his wife, waxing eloquent on their theories for why he was suffering in the way that he was suffering. And what I want to do now is make some observations about that content from chapter 3 chapter 37. And, and part of my observations are going to involve common reactions that onlookers tend to have when somebody else is having adversity, when they're observing someone else's adversity. And then secondly, we're going to look at some common responses that those in the midst of adversity would tend to have, those who are experiencing the sting of adversity. So we're going to make observations in both camps. Let's begin by making some observations regarding the common reactions of those who are looking on somebody else having adversity. And uh, these reactions come from Job's friends and his wife. His friends are Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. Uh, in our day, it would be Bob and Mary and Steve and Becky, just regular folks who are hanging around someone who's experiencing severe adversity. And the logic that they bring to Job is very well summed up by one writer. He says this, their logic progressed in this manner. Point number one, God makes the righteous happy. Point number two, God makes sinners miserable. Point number three, Job is miserable. You see where this is going, right? Therefore, Job must have committed some sin that has brought this adversity into his life. Then, the logic goes on to say, the solution for Job is to repent from the sin that he committed. And then, if he does that, God will forgive him and will, of course, take away all 
the pain. That is the logic that they bring. And it breaks down into a couple of categories. Uh, For example, look at chapter 4. The first thing that Eliphaz uh, basically communicates to Job is that he committed a sin of commission. He says, the problem is something that you did. There's something that you did. You committed a sin of commission. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. It says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? I mean, hey, if adversity has come into your life, you did something wrong. Look at at verse 8, the last part. He says, those who sow trouble, those who do wrong things, harvest that. So the first message he gets is, you know what your problem is, is you have this adversity that you're dealing with, is you committed a sin. There's something you did wrong. Clue in, Job. Then the second way this whole logic breaks down is it goes like this. You committed a sin of omission. That means, hey, you know what your problem is, Job? There's something you failed to do. You should have done better because you failed to do really what God wanted you to do. Look at chapter 22 for a moment. Chapter 22, also in verse 7. Eliphaz says to him, You know, I think your problem is, to the weary, you have given no water to drink. You should have, but you didn't. And from the hungry, you have withheld bread. You should have met the needs of the hungry, and you didn't do it. Notice it says in verse 9, you have sent the widows away empty. I understand why adversity has come to your life. You know, you committed a sin of commission. It's something you did. Oh, wait a minute. No, it probably is more than that. It's probably something of omission. It's something you failed to do. That's your problem. Now, I want us to understand, we need to be very, very careful about drawing conclusions as we're watching somebody else having adversity in their life. Now, God can use adversity to discipline us. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. There's times when he will bring adversity in our life to correct us, to get us back on the right path. It's possible that could be why adversity comes. But he also will allow adversity to come in our life to deepen us, to deepen us. In Romans chapter 5, Verses 3 and 4 talks about that. Paul writes there, he says, We can exult in our tribulations, the adversity that comes, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. See, God might allow adversity to discipline us and to correct us to get us back on the right path, but he also might allow it to come in order to to deepen us, and ultimately, that is why, we'll see at the end of this book, why God allowed this adversity in in his life. But in this case, and in no doubt many others, that onlookers would give their little judgments, they were dead wrong. And in reality, what we really have happening is a cosmic drama is, is at work here. There's a supernatural battle happening, and, and Job just happens to be a key player in it, but he doesn't fully realize it. 
Now, the second thing I want to make some observations about or some common responses that those in the midst of adversity tend to have, and we're going to look at six of them, and this is one of the things I love about the Bible. This is what makes my heart beat fast, because the Bible is so honest, it's so realistic. It's not plastic, it's not pretend. Well, what are some of the common responses of those in the midst of adversity. What do we see from Job? Well, the first one that we see is the question that most always happens when we have adversity that we're dealing with. Why? Why, God? Why, when I get up to help my daughter get to work in the darkness at four something in the morning, do I have my pool filter split and 20,000 gallons out of my pool or headed down my driveway? Why? You see Job asking that question in chapter 3, in verse 11, and verse 12, and verse 20. Here's another common response. Hey, it would be better to die than to experience this. Have you ever had that thought flash through your head? We see that from Job in chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Here's a, a third one. Being angry at God, ticked off. I cannot believe you would do that to me, of all people. Chapter 7, verses 20 and 21, we see that from Job. Here's another common response. It's not fair. We see that from Job in chapter 10, verse 7. It's not fair. I mean, you didn't do that to that person. You're doing this to me. That's not fair, God. And then another common response is a sense of hopelessness. We see that from Job in chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. I don't see any way out of this. I'm depressed. I have no more hope. Those are all common, normal responses as we struggle with and wrestle with adversity. Now, I want you to know, it's okay to have that initial response. We just don't want to camp there. But it's a normal thing. And then the last common response is the response of trusting God in the midst of the adversity. And Job makes that statement in chapter 13 and verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust And so when we're finding ourselves face-to-face with adversity, the real bottom-line question is, am I going to trust God? Or am I going to walk away from God? Am I going to honor Him or basically push Him away? Now, if I could just sort of summarize uh, the core issue down... For Job, it basically had two basic points to it. I want to give them to you. The first thing that God was bas- or Job was basically saying to God is, God, you're not following the rules. I mean, come on, we all know the rules. The rules are that a just, loving, powerful God has to follow these certain rules. And, and if someone is godly, if someone is good, if someone seeks to be all that you desire them to be, then they should not experience severe adversity. See, that's the rule that's out there. The problem with that rule is it's our rule. 
It's not God's rule. And if I could summarize the core issue with Job another way, it would be basically this. This is what he was saying to God. I don't understand the why, and you, ruler of the universe, owe me an explanation. How many times have we had that thought ourselves? We might not have even shared it with anybody else, but we're thinking it. I don't understand the why of this, but I'll tell you what, you owe me an explanation. I wish I could just transport myself up to heaven right now, and you could just tell me. Well, as, you ha- as I said, you have 37 chapters of all of these deep thoughts from the friends and the wife of Job and Job himself. And then finally, <laughs> it's like God steps up and goes, uh, can I have a little time out right here in, in chapter 38? And God finally decides he wants to say something. If you go to chapter 38, God is in this whirlwind, and he basically says, beginning in verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, who's speaking up like you know everything? Verse 3, now gird up your loins like a man, and I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then you can tell me the answers. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? When I created everything, tell me if you have understanding. Who set the measurements of the universe, since you seem to know everything else? On what were its bases sunk? What holds up the whole universe? Who laid its cornerstone? Verse 12 of chapter 38. God says to Job, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? I mean, are you like running everything around here day to day? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? I mean, do you know the ocean bottom like the back of your hand? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Do you know everything about life and death? Verse 18, have you understood the expanse of the earth? Do you really know the whole measurement of the earth? Do you know every inch of it? Tell me, tell me, I'd like to know that if you do. Down in verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead a a constellation, a whole galaxy around? Do you know the ordinances, verse 33, of the heavens or can you fix the rule? I mean, are you like in charge of this whole universe? Uh, Can you just fill me in on that? Look at chapter 39, verse 26. God says to him, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? I mean, are you directing all of nature? Did you design all of nature? Are you directing all of nature? See how this works? And in chapter 40 and verse 6, Again, the Lord is talking to him out of the storm and says, gird up your loins like a man. It's like, basically, you better get ready because I'm asking you the tough questions. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me, verse 8, that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? I love the first few verses of chapter 38 from the New Living Translation. This is just the the essence of what God was saying to him. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself because I have questions for you and you have to answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me 
if you know so much, Mr. Know-it-all. In other words, what God was saying is this. In light of who I am, in light of my greatness, in light of my transcendedness, in light of my goodness, how are you even implying that what I've allowed to come in your life is unjust and wrong? How can you even demand an answer from me? Basically, this is what God was saying. Ultimately, Job, the who is what matters. The why is my business. In chapter 42, we see Job's response. A couple of good verses, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, Job replies, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Yeah, I've heard things taught about you, but now after this direct interaction, he says, now my eye sees you. I see the bigger picture. Therefore, I retract all of my whining and my demanding, and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, if you know the story, you'll know that later on in this chapter, God rewards Job for his response. We see that in verse 10. Gets a new family. Verses 12 and 13, he gets gets more wealth. But as we conclude, I want to draw some conclusions, some, some life lessons from this. This is what we can take away from this flyover that we've had of the book of Job. Here's the first one. Be careful when analyzing adversity. Be very careful. When you are an onlooker analyzing adversity in someone else's life, we need to be careful. We need to be very slow to pass judgment on them. You see, there's nothing more disturbing when you are under the pile of great adversity, when you need comfort and you need encouragement, and what you really receive is accusation and innuendo. Well, if you had just done this differently, or if you had done that, or you must have done something wrong. Oh, please be very careful when analyzing adversity in the life of another person. And we need to be very careful when analyzing adversity in our own life. You see, when we're in the midst of adversity, it's very wise to ask yourself the question, which, by the way, Job does in chapter 31, is there perhaps an attitude or an action that God is trying to bring to my attention and he's using adversity to do that? That's a good question to ask. Second life lesson is we need to remember reality. We need to remember reality. See, in the book of Job, we know something because the curtain got pulled back that Job doesn't. As he's facing all of this adversity in his life, there's a cosmic drama going on. There's a supernatural battle going on behind the scenes. And, and God's plans and God's purposes in the adversity that he allows in our life goes beyond our little perspective. We're so focused on the circumstances and the people that are involved in this that we don't see that God has a whole bigger picture. 
That's why in Ephesians 3.10 it says that the plan is that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church that's through you and through me to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It ever dawn on us that part of what's happening could be part of this same cosmic drama. You see, when we're dealing with that why question, the why could entail you're part of a cosmic conflict that's going on right now. Or perhaps the why could entail, I want to use you to influence others to point them to the Savior as you go through the adversity the way you're going through it. Or the why could include, we don't often think this way, I actually plan to influence generations to come behind you by allowing that adversity into your life now. See, that's the reality. His plans and purposes go way beyond our perspective. Our perspective is limited to earth. God's perspective is of the whole universe over all time. The third thing that we can learn, third life lesson, the third conclusion is don't fall for Satan's scam. See, when we're eyeball to eyeball with difficulty and disappointment, remember his aim for your life and mine. He wants to get you to stop serving God. He wants you to come to the point where you stop honoring God, where you stop walking with God. Don't fall for that scam. Now, I want you to know God's promise to us is that he will bless us and he will reward his own, but it will be on his terms, in his timing, according to his plan, and on his schedule. We see what happens in Job's life. Later on in his life, God blessed him and rewarded him. For some people, that blessing and reward will happen on the other side of life but he has promised to bless and reward his own. And then the fourth lesson is this. When we face adversity, trust him at every turn. Remember, we have incomplete data. We have a limited viewpoint. And human reasoning cannot unlock the purposes of a sovereign God. For quite a while, I've had this little saying on my credenza in my office. I need this to remind me. It says, God deliberately keeps some things secret so that you and I will stay humble and learn to trust him even when we do not understand what he is doing. That's ultimately the lesson that Job learned. Remember what he said? Though God slay me, though he take me out, yet I will trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for the truth of the book of Job. And, and, and this is where we live. Adversity is coming. We're either entering into it, in the midst of it, or just coming out of it. And may we learn that we can't answer all of the questions. We don't know the answers to all of the whys, but we know the who, which is you, the living God of the universe. And may we trust you 
at every turn. Protect us from the scams and the schemes of the enemy, we pray. And we'll give you all the honor, even though we don't understand. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.